It's about to be wild tonight, so get ready. Get ready. All right, so I'm going to be going over Romans 6 because last month we went over Romans 5. Pastor Brad preached on Romans 5, but Romans 6 is a continuation of Romans 5. So I'm actually going to start in Romans 5, verse 20. I'm going to start from there. So in Romans 5, verse 20, it says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. All right, now we're going to move down to Romans 6, verse 1. It says, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I'm going to stop there. So Romans 6, 1, the first verse, it's rooted in verse 520. So Paul just says, has just said that God's grace is so great and forgiveness is for every sin. So if we sin more, then grace grows. Yes, the more we sin, the more the grace. So shouldn't we keep sinning? And then Paul, oh man, I love Paul because Paul is a very passionate person. If you haven't read uh, the New Testament, uh, Paul writ, wrote like half of the New Testament. So he's a very passionate person. And there's, if you want to learn more about Paul, there's a biography um, that N.T. Wright wrote, phenomenal book. And he, he kind of tells the story of Paul. And Paul was passionate way before he became a follower of Jesus. He was passionate about protecting the law and persecuting Christians, right? And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then after that, he was passionate about spreading the gospel. So when Paul answers like this question, so shouldn't we keep sinning? He says, he doesn't say, nah. He doesn't say, no way, Jose. <laughs> he, he doesn't say like, no, no, that's not true. No, he says, by no means. He declares that. He says, no, we do not keep sinning. Actually, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. So if you want to write this down, paper and pen, here we go. God's grace does not give us permission to sin. Mm, come on, somebody. Come on. Can I get an Amen. I'm going to say that again. God's grace does not give us permission to sin. The first step in living as a Christian is knowing that we're dead to sin, right? It's like a business under new management where the old management, the sin, is gone, and that new management is headed by Christ. So it would be to Paul unthinkable for a Christian to live, to live as if sin still controlled your life. It was still ruling your life. So I wanted to share a story with you guys tonight to kind of help you understand that a little better. I'm in the military, six years, nine months. This is the actual last day I'm in active duty military today. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Come on. <laughs> but um, so in the military, you, you have your jobs or whatever, and you go to a duty station for three to five years depending on your job. And my first duty station, I was 18 when I got there, and... I was, I was wilding out. I was reckless, young, wild, annoying. Some people might still think I'm annoying, but that's their opinion. But, uh, you know, I, I was an instigator. At, from day one, out of the womb, I think I, I was annoying people. So, um, so I say that because I was written up probably like 20 to 30 times in that, in that three years. I, looking back, at, at that moment, I didn't think it was good reasons. But looking back, uh, yes, I should have been written up probably even more than that. But... So I say that because after those three years, you move to another duty station. And when you go to that next duty station, what do you guys think happens to those write-ups? 
poof, gone, like they never existed. So the old is gone and the new is here. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> All right, so we're going to continue on to verse 3. All right, so it says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. All right, we're going to pause there. I know that was a pretty good bit of scripture. But I kind of broke the, that scripture up in kind of like three different sections. And in 3 through 5, it talks about baptism. And when at conversion, when someone gives their life to Jesus, we position ourselves in Christ. We identify with Christ. So when someone says that they're saved, that's what that means. Their salvation is that they identify with Christ. And then you guys have heard of water baptism. We do that every last Sunday of every month here where you guys see, see people get dunked in water. That's, that's in water. They get dunked underwater and they get brought back up, which is an outward physical symbol of the inward spiritual transformation of our hearts. So they're identifying with Christ going under the water, his death, and coming above the water with his resurrection. So, and then we move down to verse 6. Sin, it talks about crucifixion. Sin is crucified, powerless, inoperative, no longer powerful, and ineffective. And then we move to verses 7 through 10. It talks about slavery to sin which Christians do not have to serve sin ever again. Instead, this new life is empowered by God for the overcoming of sin in every aspect of our life. And then I wanted to camp on verse 9 for a little bit, and I'll reread that for you guys. So verse 9 says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. All right, so how many of you guys would agree that death is inevitable, right? Can I raise the hands? Yep, death is inevitable. Death can be scary. Death can be hard. It can sting, right? Death can really sting. So in verse 9, it says that Christ died and then rose from the dead. He defeated death. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Paul writes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Right? So we no longer have to fear death. Our physical death isn't the end for us Christians. It's actually the doorway to the beginning of our eternal life. Our heavenly reward. Yeah, come on. So, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And I wanted to give a little story about a dear friend of mine, Andrew. They'll pull a picture up on the big screen behind me here. Andrew is my very, very close friend. And so I'll try not to get, I, I didn't think I was, every time I practiced, I didn't get like this. So, uh, so all right, so he was diagnosed with leukemia last year when I was in California. And I got the phone call, and when he told me, I lost it. I really lost it. It was like, I, I describe it in this way. Have you ever seen a movie of like a war movie, and someone's on a battlefield, and a grenade goes off near them, and then all they, they don't hear anything else. They just hear ringing in their ears, and everything else is muffled. 
right? Have you guys ever experienced that? That's what I experienced. I heard cancer, and, and at that moment, I just, I, I grieved. But it wasn't like a selfish grief. It was a grief that I grieved for his family, for his brother, his sister, his mom, and his dad, for his family. I was hurting so bad. And, you know, I was grieving in a way where it was hopeless, I didn't have hope in that moment. And I'll, 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 I'll admit it, I didn't have hope in that moment. But then after a little bit, God really checked my heart. And he checked me. So then after he checked me, I kind of postured it from being hopeless into hopeful. Because, you know, God is in control. And we are just pilgrims passing through this land. Our physical bodies are only temporary. So I, uh, he's doing great. I want to give you, he's doing great in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he's with his family. Uh, the leukemia flared up recently, so he's still going under treatment. But I talked to him yesterday, and he's doing phenomenal. But I wanted to tell you this because maybe you've had a time like that in your life where you grieve without hope, where you lost a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, grandma, grandpa, where you grieved and there was no hope. You felt hopeless in that moment. But 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Paul writes that Christians don't mourn the same way as non-Christians do. Christians mourn with an eternal hope in mind, right? So now Paul isn't saying that grieving is wrong, but grieving in a, in a hopeless manner like non-Christians is because we have an eternal hope. We can grieve with hope. We can be the light in the darkness in those situations. So, so <laughs> and I, I wanted to break off. From that. Now, I'm not saying go to a funeral and start doing a praise dance and singing, I got the joy, 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 joy. Where? All right. Now, I'm actually telling you not to do that because you'll probably get beat up, jumped, shot. I don't know. So I wouldn't suggest you do that. But what I am saying is that we are just pilgrims passing through this land, and, and our excitement is when we get to heaven. Because as Christians, death no longer has the power over us. And when we die, that's when our eternal life in heaven begins. Can I get an amen? All right. We're going to continue with verse 11. All right. So it says in Romans 6, 11, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to stop there. And when I was doing some research on this, uh, what came up, this commentary uh, said, Reckon that this truth to be personally real. And when I saw the word reckon, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Because how many of you know that the southern people don't talk the same way they do up in the north, right? How many of you guys know what the word reckon means, right? Yeah, can you guys know. Yeah, I've, I've heard, I think I've heard Pastor Brad say it recently. I, I reckon, and I've, I've, I'm like, you what? <laughs> uh, but for, for the, those of you that don't know what reckon means, it means to consider or regard in a specified way. So we need to know the facts stated from Romans 6, 1 through 10. So we need to know that, and we need to reckon them as true and act accordingly, right? So when sin tempts us, we should act as though we are indeed dead to it, giving absolutely no response to that temptation. And when I, I, I read that, I was like, hmm, that kind of reminds me of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 3 and 4. So after Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist, the spirit led him to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, how many times can I say 40 days and 40 nights in, the, in a minute? Um, after he fasted those days, the enemy came in. Satan himself came in to tempt him. And... To break away from this, how many know that the enemy will come in when we're at our weakest moment? 
Yeah, that's why we need, that's why we need community, selfish plug, small group. Season two is coming up, so uh, get in a small group. But so the enemy, Satan came in to tempt him at his weakest moment. But when Satan came in and tempted Jesus, some of you might know this, he said, it is written. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, he said, it is written. He said, it is written that man should not live on bread alone, but by the word of God himself, right? It is written. I don't think Jesus, when Satan tempted Jesus, I don't think he sat there for 15 seconds like, hmm, hmm, should I, should I do that or not? No, I think it wasn't even one second where Jesus didn't even let that thought have uh, anywhere into his mind. He said, no, nah, it is written. It, it, is, it is written in the word. And I am not going to let sin have that type of, type of day in my life because I am dead to sin. So reckoning sin dead in our lives is the beginning of experiencing God's power within you in a real way. I'll say that one more time. Reckoning sin dead in our lives, considering it dead in our lives, is the beginning of experiencing God's power within me in a real way. So I saw a list of kind of, um, that, that kind of dealt with uh, about everything that everybody could, could feel in a, in a certain way that they've dealt with. So I want to read it off. It says, when I count myself dead to worry, anger, losing my temper, demanding perfection in my children, overeating, recreational drugs, or misuse of prescription drugs, excessive drinking, breaking the law, gossiping, flirting with a wrong relationship, stealing, lying, and self-pity, then I will choose to not let sin be a part of my life. So when we consider all those things already dead, then you will choose not to let that be a part of your life, right? All right, so we're going to move down to verse 12. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. And whenever I was doing some research on those verses, I saw the Message Bible. The Message Bible came up and it has a paraphrase, a paraphrase for... <laughs> For those verses. And I wanted to read that because it describes it really well. So the message Bible says for verses 12, 12 through 14, it says, That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. And I really want to focus on this one part, and that says, don't even run little errands that are connected to the old way of life. I saw that. I'm like, dang, I can't even go by a mall now because I have a little spending problem. So I'm like, I'm like dang, I can't, I can't even drive by a mall. I have to detour around the mall. I have to go past the store. Or when you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, and for me, I like clothes, so ads for clothes pop up, and I click it, and two more clicks later, that's coming in three days. So, <laughs> you know, that's saying that don't even click on that. If you have an addiction to Starbucks, don't even drive by a Starbucks. <laughs> Some of you guys might uh, feel that, you know, never know. But 
That's what that's saying is don't even run little errands of the old way of life. The new, the old is gone and the new is here, right? So you might say, that sounds very radical, Nate. That sounds very crazy. Like, like I think that's too much. But how, do you guys, how, how many of you guys know that we serve a radical God? There's actually a book called Radical by David Platt. If you guys want to buy it, read it. It's a phenomenal book. And you'll actually learn in that book that, uh, that Jesus lived a radical faith. If you read the Gospels, if you read your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke and John, that you'll see that Jesus actually lived a radical faith. Everything he did was radical. So that's how we're called to live. Somewhere in Christianity, it, it kind of got, like, miscued or something that we don't have to be radical in our faith. But no, that's what God is calling us to do, to be radical. Don't run little errands that might bring that old way of life in, right? All right. So we're going to go down to verse 15. All right. So it says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. There he is again, passionate Paul. I'm going to, ooh, I just came up with that. Passionate Paul, come on. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to go too, too deep into that because Paul is just bringing back where verses 1 and 2 comes in. So we'll move on to verse 16. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves of righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When... You were slaves to sin. You were free from the control of righteousness. I'm going to stop there. And I had this down. If you want to write this down, this is a good one. Whatever you yield yourself to will be your master. Let me, I'm, I'm going to substitute the word yield for submit. Whatever you submit yourself to will be your master. The basic truth is that there's ultimately two masters, God or sin. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to serve God or are you going to choose to serve sin? There's no middle ground. There's no third choice where it's like, hmm, I'm going to come in on a Sunday, worship, and do what Christians do. And then on a Monday, I'm going to go back to sin. That's not an option. It's either sin or God. God or sin. Which one are you going to choose? Pastor Brad gave me a quote by Tim Keller, who's a world-renowned theologian. And he said, Jesus is the only master who, if you receive him, will fulfill you. And if you fail him, we'll forgive you. Mm, that's good. So what master do you serve? Do you serve God or do you serve alcohol? Do you serve God or do you serve gossip? Do you serve God or do you serve your work? Mm. Do you serve God or do you serve your laziness? Do you serve God or do you serve your self-image? There's another quote by another pastor named Manny Arango. He said, sometimes you don't realize God is all you need until God is all you have. So what thing have you put above God that you think will fulfill you every time but never does? Because Jesus is the only one that can fulfill you. So what is that thing that you put above God 
that you try to fulfill every time, but it never works. We're going to move on to verse 21. It says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So verse 21, in the the ESV, uh, some of you guys might have the Eastern Standard Version, I read it, and it talked about the fruit you bear. And it, says, and it says, the one who has given their life to Christ and identify with Jesus' death and resurrection, the fruit you bear is sanctification and eternal life. Now, every time I see the fruit you bear or you'll bear much fruit or whatever, every time I hear the word fruit in the Bible, I think of the orange tree representation that Pastor Brad gave a couple months ago. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Probably a good thing. But every time I see fruit in the Bible now, I think of the orange tree. And if some of you guys didn't hear it, it he talked about how Pastor Dan when, well, Pastor Brad was younger, Pastor Dan told him a story about an orange tree, that the branches that are standing tall and pretty, they look pretty, right? But they're not bearing fruit. And the branches that bear the most fruit are lowest to the ground. They have the most fruit on them, right? So when you're bearing fruit, that means you're going to be on your knees to Jesus, right? You're going to have fruit that will bear. And if you serve Jesus, if you serve God as your master, that leads to sanctification and eternal life. And in verse 22, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Now that you have a new master, that equals sanctification, the process of becoming holy and eternal life. So that word holiness comes up again, which takes us back to the beginning of Romans 5 last month, where Pastor Brad said, To fully be able to embrace Romans 5, you have to understand the character of God. And he used the verse Isaiah 6, 3. It says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Above all else, God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. So when when that verse says that, you're serving your new master leads to sanctification. That is the process of becoming holy, which, as we see, God is holy above else. So that's the process of becoming like God. We're being refined. And if we go down to verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a way to end Romans 6. That's powerful. When it says wages, that means the punishment of sin, that which is one has earned and deserves. We deserve hell. We don't deserve heaven. So if you came in here thinking that you are righteous and you deserve to go to heaven, uh, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. We deserve to go to hell. But then it says God's free gift is eternal life. So a free gift is the opposite of what one deserves. The free gift fits Paul's earlier emphasis on justification by grace alone through faith alone. That means God's grace alone in our faith alone are we justified 
not by ourselves, not by our works. We don't deserve it. But God loved us so much that he, he gave his son to die on a cross, to raise again three days later from the dead and defeated death on our behalf so that we could live an eternal life in heaven, something that we didn't deserve. Mm, that's so good. So let me ask you this. What is the one thing in your life that's causing you to not feel that you can have a close relationship with God? What is that one thing in your life that's causing you to think that you can't have a close relationship with God? Now I want you to sit there and think about that for a second. And I'm not going to tell you to think about that and not be open and honest with myself. Can I be open and honest with you guys? Can I, can I have a moment of transparency? Can I, can I not be judged for a second by, by the Christian crowd? Um, that thing for me was pornography. That thing for me in my high school years and a couple years out of high school, that was pornography. I remember nights where I was sitting on my bed crying to God that I didn't want to do it again. I didn't want to do it. I said, God, why am I doing this? Why do I feel like this is fulfilling me every time? But it never does. But then God said, I love you. God said, I want you. God said, you're mine. So how many of you guys have one of those moments where it's like, but God? But God, right? Can you guys resonate with that? So but God, God's grace drew me in. And he graced me to where I don't have to serve that master anymore. And I serve God. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> thank you guys. So what is that one thing in your life that's causing you to feel like you can't have a relationship with God? That's causing that shame that you feel that you can't come to God. Because whatever that is, that's your master. That is your master. And you can't serve sin and God at the same time. You're serving sin or God. But I'm here to tell you tonight that it doesn't matter what the enemy says. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. Whatever that is will not fulfill you. If you're looking for a sign, whatever that is, your, si your sign's right here. I'm your sign right here. It won't fulfill you. I'll say it again. That thing will not fulfill you. It won't fulfill you. It won't fulfill you. Because Jesus is the only master that will. So every time that the enemy comes and tries to tempt you, tempt you in a certain way, just remember what Jesus did in the wilderness. He said, it is written. It is written that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and, but of power and love and self-control. It is written that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It is written that God's plans are to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. It is written that the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is written. Man, I think sometimes we forget that Scripture is our greatest weapon. Scripture is the greatest weapon to defeating the enemy. If Jesus did it, why do, why do we think that we don't have to use it? So when temptation comes, I want you guys to reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. 
Make Jesus your master today. Give him what you're serving above God. In a moment, we're going to take a time to reflect. We're going to reflect on the question, what is, what is the thing in your life that's causing you to feel you can't be close with God? I want you guys to reflect while Vincent's playing. We're going to reflect for about 30 seconds to a minute and really ask God to just take that from you. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. Jesus can be your master. He is the only one that will fulfill you. I can't say that enough. Why do you feel like every time you come to church, you don't want to leave? Why do you feel like every time you're in a prayer and worship session, you don't want to stop? But then you do and you go back to the world. But every time you come back, you want to you stay here. Because we were meant to be in God's presence. We were created that way. And you can serve God by being in his presence. Be in God's presence. So let's take a moment to reflect. Think about what is that thing in your life that's causing you to feel that you can't have a close relationship with God. Take a moment and we'll reflect on that.